Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I feel like customer experience builders have a hierarchy of needs, right? And we really focus on the lowest level. And the lowest level is the operational transactional data that drives personalization. If 68% of people want personalization, you should be providing it. And personalization is, hi, Adrian, are you calling about the AirPods that were delivered yesterday? It depends on the lens that you're looking at this stuff through, and it depends on the lens you're looking at AI through. And I think there's a big opportunity to look at customer science or customer intelligence through the lens of behavior. AI is just a tactic. It's just, it's another tool at our disposal that should be used towards a strategic end, right? Of reducing friction for the customer, for example. So, Ryan, you know that we named our company Beyond Philosophy. Yes. And the reason I did that was to try to indicate that it's important to have a philosophy, you know, a, a strategy, a theory behind things, but you've also got to go beyond it and do something. And I was reading this really interesting report the other day from Zendesk called the CX Trends Report 2022. Uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes, and I, and I really suggest people have a look at it. As I was reading the results, there seemed to be a sort of a bit of a dichotomy between what people are saying and what they are doing. So I reached out to Zendesk and asked if they could get somebody to come on the show and talk about the report and stuff like that. And kindly, they uh, offered Adrian McDermott, who's the Chief Technology Officer of Zendesk. Uh, So welcome, Adrian. Thanks, Colin. Hi, Ryan. Great to be here. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, so really good that you're uh, on the show, Adrian, because there's a couple of things I I wanted to chat about. But before we go into that area, perhaps you can just tell us a bit about you and Zendesk and your your background. Yeah, so Zendesk is a company and basically we enable other companies to digitize the entire customer experience. We provide tools and technologies. We work on agent efficiency and customer experience. We launched 15 years ago in Copenhagen. I joined Um, 10 or 11 years ago when the company moved to San Francisco. And we've scaled to basically 100,000 customers. Uh, When I started, it was 5,000. And we crossed the billion-dollar revenue mark in 2021, which is sort of the landmark, I think, for software companies as they grow. Wow. Excellent. That's good news. And Copenhagen's a lovely place. And I like San Francisco as well. It is. They're they're reasonable locations. And then we do development, actually, in um, Melbourne and Singapore. So uh, right, wow. I, have a, I have a great travel schedule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or had a great travel schedule. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're zooming into lots of really interesting places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I skilled product development here from 10 people to 14, 1500. And then wow. I recently made the switch to what my old team call my role as chief talking officer. Which is um, <laughs> probably why when you called, you called me. <laughs> yeah, talk to Adrian. Good. Okay, well, at least you're well-versed in talking, which is good news.
I guess I wanted to pick your brains on two things. The first thing is just this sort of, and I'm going to go through some stats in a moment from the report because I, I find it fascinating. A, to pick your brains on some of the, the stats and, and why you think where we are at the moment, uh, where customer experience is at the moment. And then secondly, I know in our conversations preparing for this, you talk about customer intelligence. We've talked about customer science and to get your take on it, because I think it would be fascinating from A, from sort of a practitioner perspective, and B, from a chief technology officer perspective to get your to get your thoughts on it as well. So we're going to try and do both of these in this show to take most advantage of you being here. And the good thing is, it sounds like you can talk, which is really good, <laughs> especially for an audio podcast, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go through some of the stats that made me reach out. And these sort of fall into sort of three blocks for me, okay? As I read this, I read about 73% of business leaders reporting a direct link between customer service and business performance. So they know that there's a business link or business leaders do. 64% of business leaders say that customer service has a positive impact on the company's growth. 60% say customer service improves customer retention, yeah? And 70% of customers said that they've made purchasing decisions based upon the quality of service. And guess what? As a result of all those things, 56% of organizations say over the next 12 months, they're going to focus on driving better customer experiences, okay? Next part of the story. So you then go, okay, great. So they recognize that's a priority. And then if you look at, you know, what's happening now, what customers are saying, and again, this is all out of the report, and I really suggest that you you download the report. Let's say we'll put a link in the show notes. 81% of customers say a positive customer service experience increases the likelihood that they're going to spend more money, make more purchases. 74% say that they will give a company the benefit of the doubt if they, they make an error. 61% of customers say that they would switch to a competitor just off the back of one bad service experience, okay? I am getting to my question, so bear with me, because I like to talk as well. If you put that in the sort of the overall context, um, I'm sure you've heard of the American Customer Satisfaction Index, Mm -hmm. and we had them on the show a little while ago where customer experience is now a sort of a 17-year low, okay? There were two other stats that really struck out for me in the report, which said that 23% of organizations said that they were looking to increase customer satisfaction. So I always like to reverse these stats and go, well, okay, so that means 67% are not looking to increase customer satisfaction. And 23% said they are looking to drive stronger relationships, which means that 67% are not looking to drive customer relationships. And this was the dichotomy, Adrian, where I, you know, on one hand, we seem to have organizations going, yes, we know customer experience is really important. Yes, we know customer service is really important. Yes, it's going to be a priority. But we're at a 17 year low. And they're not looking to improve satisfaction and relationships. And I just think, what in the bloody hell's going on here? Why is that disconnect between the theory? And this is generally, I think, is what's happening because most business leaders talk about 
customer experience. So I'm really fascinated to get your your take and Zendesk take on this. Firstly, thank you for the rundown on the stats. It means I don't have to remember anything, <laughs> which is great, which is great. I, I like that a lot. I can focus on talking. You've talked about really the supply side problem in terms of how customer support is supplied and the demand side problem, which is what our customers, citizens, users are expecting. We can look at each of those in uh, and the stats in the report in different ways, right? I think for me, what is wrong with the supply side that sort of acknowledges the importance but does nothing about it? I think another key stat in there that uh, really stands out for me is that a third of companies still view customer service as a cost center rather than a revenue yeah. generating engine for growth. Yeah. I think it's it's if you think about the C-suite, you know, we have this desire to force them to be interested, to care about, to invest in customer service and see it tied to business growth. This theory, this lip service, la la la. We segmented the companies that responded to our CX Trends report, the thousands, or, you know, the over a thousand organizations, and we saw that the high performers, like the high performing segment, what we would call the champions of customer service, they were eight times more likely to view customer service as a revenue driver. From a supply side point of view, that is the explanation right there. I think if you're the digital transformation officer, if you're thinking about investments in a company, if you're playing one of those roles, and you know, we at Zendesk meet those people all the time and we try and take that, their problems and make them our problems and propose our solutions. I think when you talk to them, so many of them are focused on the commerce angle, on the service delivery angle, right? And that's going to get the lion's share of investment because they think about those portions of the customer journey. So many business leaders, I think, are focused on the acquisition phase of attracting that first customer. You highlighted the statistic that single bad interaction leads to a huge amount of churn. I think two bad interactions is way up there, possibly approaching 80%, someone looking for an alternative service, right? And so it's, in my opinion, our opinion, sort of short-term is thinking not to think about the entire customer journey and think about how you're doing it. Another thing about, uh, about that is, the idea that customer service is tied to business growth, which I think is something that we inherently believe and that shift from cost center and the the biases that people have of thinking of customer service as a cost center. I know that you did contact centers for two generations for telcos in Europe and you know the cost center mentality is strong, right? Those are the metrics that we use. They're all Time, handle time and wait time and cost to serve and, you know, blah, 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 right? They're all focused on, they're basically the metrics of cost accounting, not the metrics of growth. What we have to do is challenge that mindset. And, you know, at Zendesk, we've worked with really innovative companies. I remember a light coming on for me at a Zendesk event where we had customers speaking. And one of those customers was Shopify, the Canadian, extraordinary Canadian retail platform. And Shopify's head of customer service, who I think was ahead of his time, he's like, yeah, I realized that we have six plan levels, you know, good, better, best, amazing. We made it just for you, you know, in terms of plan levels. And he's like, I realized that the features, the problems customer was, a lot of customers were having were solved in higher plan levels. But we had this shame and embarrassment in customer service. Like we were supposed to help them with the product that they have and not sully our hands with commercial conversations, right? That's for other people. And I think he realized that is like, I can give people, my job is to give them better experiences and tell them how to get better experiences from our products and to serve them, grow their business better. And I can do that best by letting my people ask the question, by letting my people say, you know, 
I can help you with this, but you're going to do much better in the gold, in the silver, gold, you you know, uranium plan levels that we offer versus in the bronze and tin. And I think his acknowledgement there in a sort of simple structured business was that his customer service agents were the people talking to customers. Yeah. They were the ones out there having conversations and dealing with it. So I think that we have this bundle of challenges on the supply side uh, that we need to solve. And a lot of it is just change in philosophy and mindset. On the demand side, if we talk about users, it's pretty clear, right? The journey that we've been on through the pandemic and the way that consumers think and You've had many of the experts that are thinking about this and about people's ability to switch from one service to another. But ultimately, you know, I think 20 years ago, whenever, however far long ago it was, Google started training the population about how to have a digital experience and search for the information that we need. We've all become search box experts. We can all tune our searches and do that. I think the giants of retail of rideshare, food delivery, all these kind of experiences that you can now have digitally through your mobile, through mobile, through the web. I think the giants of those industries have trained us as customers to have very high expectations for service. We expect quick responses. We expect definite answers. We expect to understand policy. I expect to be able to order new AirPods and they show up the next day. I expect to be fed in an evening. These things are incredibly useful and important. And through the pandemic, we relied on those experiences. Yeah. And now we judge all of our experiences in the digital world, in that realm, by those yardsticks. If you don't provide the level of service that I get from my rideshare company, why would I use you? I'm going to keep looking until I find someone who does. If I don't like your you know, I don't want to wait three days to do a return and I don't want it to be deeply inconvenient. If you're going to do that, I'm not going to buy from you again. I agree. I, I, I literally had a, an experience like that the other day. I can't remember who it was with. But I remember thinking, bloody hell, oh, they asked me to phone back if it hadn't been delivered. And I'm thinking, I've got to make the action when, you know, it's you, you guys that haven't delivered it on time. So I'm totally with you with the training of the customer. Let me take a step back, though, if I may, because I think you said something important there that I want the audience to sort of understand. Because, again, if I think of this sort of the difference between what organizations say and what they do, because if I was to look at lots of reports over the last 20 years, and I've been doing this 20 years now, well, probably probably not the first five, actually, a lot of reports, I've always put customer experience at the top but what we know is not many organizations are doing it well. What you said, which I think is a key part, is the whole bit about the mindset within the organization and how they treat customer service as, as a cost center. Why do you think that sort of mindset is there? Why the difference between I'm telling everybody that customers are important, but I'm having this conversation internally that really effectively shows that they're not important because we're making decisions based on cost. And just to give you an example, you know, in the pandemic, it's been, it drives me around the bend now where people are effectively, you know, you phone the call center and they turn around and say, well, we're suffering from extremely high call volumes. And you think, well, you've been doing this for two years now. They're not extremely high because, you know, they're probably no higher than they have been. It's that mindset shift as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, there's definitely a mindset shift uh, on the part of customers, right? 68% of people expect a personalization when they reach out. Yeah. The idea that you can run a call center script of, hi, my name is Adrian. How can I help you today? Please enter your account number, right? Those, those days are over. The customer's in control now of that conversation. But I think within organizations, it comes down to investment priorities partly. And if you are thinking about your business probably runs on the Wall Street crack of growth, right? You have to provide growth to your investors, to your shareholders, to yourselves. And to do that, you tend to focus on the product you sell, the service you provide, or the experience you're building, whether that's the retail experience or something else. And that's going to get the the lion's share of your budget and your thinking, right? Given that we live in a subscription economy that basically lives and dies by repeat business, by subscription services, you know, even jet engines hanging off planes now are actually subscription objects that you pay for by the mile versus buying the engine up front. I think that shift in the way that we consume goods, right, that shift in the economy hasn't yet permeated all the way through to thinking about what customers for life. And if I think about my customer as a subscriber who's on this journey, the vast majority of their life with us will not be at the point of purchase. They will be intermittent contacts throughout the experience, right? And hopefully through repeat engagements that involve the transfer of wealth from one party to another, ideally in the direction of customer to business or entity. And that pivoted mindset actually would then make you think about the emphasis that you put in terms of dollars, people, thinking, strategy on lifetime value versus on customer acquisition. And I think we're seeing it's a slow and tectonic movement towards in nerd circles for SaaS economics, we call it's moving from CAC to LTV is the important metric you know, from cost of acquisition to lifetime value. Sure. And clearly that's the way it should go. It's just, I sometimes wish the tectonic plates would move a little faster, um, but they go. Living in California, I can't agree with you there. For actual <laughs> tectonic plates, but, you know, no, that's a good details, point, well, details. Yeah. Have you got a business problem? And would you like us to help? Would you like your business problem addressed on the show? All you need to do is go on our website and record your pickle. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. And hit the big red button. We look forward to hearing you on the show. Let's shift the conversation. Uh, By the way, I really suggest that you read the report because I thought it was really good. And again, the link will be in the show notes and lots of other information there, which I I won't want to bore the audience with now and hopefully keep some surprises for them. Let's shift the conversation because one of the things that we've been talking about, Ryan and I have been talking about, has been how the way we've been describing it is, or the way I've been describing it really is, has been there's a new variant of customer experience, Okay. So it's not that it's completely new because it's 60% of it is built on the same things. However, there's this new area of customer science and that's, you know, three things fusing together, which is sources of data, AI 
and behavioral science, the thing that Ryan and I talk a lot about on, on this podcast, understanding the patterns of how customers behave and being able to interpret them. And I know in the conversation again that we were having, you were talking about customer intelligence. And to be totally honest with you, I couldn't care less what it's called. It's similar type of thing. But I'd be fascinated again to get your thoughts on, particularly with your CTO hat on, because that whole area, again, is an area of real interest, uh, I think, to a number of people going forward. So what's your take on customer uh, intelligence or customer science? I feel like customer experience builders have a hierarchy of needs, right? And we really focus on the lowest level. And the lowest level is the operational transactional data that drives personalization. If 68% of people want personalization, you should be providing it. And personalization is, hi, Adrian, are you calling about the AirPods that were delivered yesterday? Hi, Adrian, is this about your order, which is ongoing, et cetera, et cetera. It's understanding my transactional history, my, you know, my demographics in terms of or my firmographics or demographics, but understanding me as a customer, like my, so many of the gaming customers we work with run on businesses that look like Vegas casinos, right? Where they have whales and then they have the massive humanity that spent little or very little or nothing with them. Yeah. And they have to understand, is this a whale or is this not a whale, right? Is this someone spending 10,000 a month or is this someone who's playing the free game? That level of understanding, that basic level of understanding has been so much of the energy of CRM companies for the last 10 years. And it's been of tremendous interest. And it does drive, you know, the routing, the prioritization, the experience and the personalization. And it is table stakes, right? To continue the Vegas theme. And I think it is tremendously important. But at the same time, there's a second set of characteristics that I think you need to understand. And I think you need to understand those in the macro for your customers, right? You need to segment them by their behavior and by the way that they feel about you as a company. And you need to understand them by their behavior and the way that they feel about you as a company. And ultimately, I think for me, the holy grail of customer intelligence, customer science systems when applied to CX is that ability to build segments of one, to be able to get down to the point using AI and other tools where I can know what the experience should be for Adrian versus Colin versus Ryan. And it doesn't, of my customer base, which could be 10 or 10 million, it's not particularly important to know how many segments there are or how they work. You will begin doing this work with fewer segments and, and less understanding whale, minnow, gold, silver, bronze, uranium, whatever those you know customer designations end up being. But I think if we think about the use of big data and AI and the kind of pattern matching that you can do, you can eventually get to the point where you can have mass personalization for segments of one and build experiences that are tied to what you've done lately, how you feel about the company, your likelihood to rebuy and all of those things. And I think an important concept here really is perhaps in concierge-based experiences, right? Whether that's in the mortgage industry or actually in the hotel industry. Four Seasons have a, an amazing concierge app that's a conversational implementation built on top of, amongst other things, Zendesk technology. And I think the high-end hotel experience is the one that I think all businesses ultimately want to give to their customers, right? That real guest experience of quality, of personalized quality and understanding. 
And I think to do that requires a decent sized technology stack. And it, it requires being able to process a bunch of data and drive the right experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It's always those cutting edge places and, and hotels, as you say, are, are an interesting segment because they can provide those experiences at the beginning. My worry is that going back to the mindset thing, so you're always going to get the Shopify's and the companies that are at the leading edge of these things. And I totally agree with you that personalization like is a basic, but I mean, let's also be honest, lots of organizations still aren't doing that very well. My worry is that what happens is organizations don't see the the insights that the behavioral aspects can give. And they go back to our previous conversation is they focus the AI deployment on the reduction of costs rather than what I consider to be a massive opportunity area in that much more enhanced understanding of customer behavior and personalization, et cetera. Any thoughts on that? We like to think about AI really serving three purposes in customer experience, right? And the first is absolutely automation of repetitive tasks. It is tremendously important that you can remove some of those lower in the value chain value interactions, right? That helps the employee as well, doesn't it? Because they don't want to be doing the the boring stuff anyway. I think what we found in our data is a lot of people actually, or the majority of people, prefer to have interactions with bots because they see them as always on and efficient and getting to the correct answer, right? You know, you can drive your return through a bot really easily. During the pandemic, uh, Discord, which is a communication app primarily for gamers, um, saw 300% use of Zendesk's answer bot, right? Freshly, a, a food companies, you know, had 15% of customers who got their answer, their questions answered automatically. And I think customers can and do appreciate that. And so that automating repetitive tasks, action, is possibly the thing that should come first, and that's okay, right? That's where you should begin because you can then have time to drive better quality experiences. I think the second thing that we really focus on is recommendations, right? So we acquired a company, actually based in Portugal, cleverly.ai last year, because what they could do is look at any contact from a customer and enrich the ticket, the conversation with actionable information and make recommendations to agents about what they should do, you know. And it could be as simple as a feature we just released, which is most people respond, have canned answers to respond to people. You know, we call them macros and we do macro recommendation. You know, a lot of customers have a couple of thousand macros. And so just seeing a ticket and having something say, this is a lost password, here's the macro, it will fill all the stuff and send them the links, boom, done, right? I think those kind of recommendations and the recommendation engine that can happen is incredibly important. It's good. It's important to remember that artificial intelligence or machine learning as we apply it really is really that ability to see patterns in the human brain as a pattern matching machine, right? We've got two things, you know, we've got pattern matching in the brain and opposable thumbs, uh, which we share with a few primates and sloths. And that pattern matching ability, those human interactive tasks, those judgment tasks, those are incredibly important. And the recommendations as customer service leaders, those are the things that we want, right? We, you know, we might be contracting to business process outsourcers to do customer service. 
across the world, people who we want to treat like employees, we want to feel like employees, but we don't necessarily want to give them agency to decide what Colin's experience should be today. How are they feeling? Will he get a return or not? I'll think about it. That's not how we want it to work, right? We want recommendations. We want standard operating procedure. We want to do it at scale and we want consistency. And I think AI can drive that. So I think automation, recommendations, and then finally, the really interesting part is the ability to use that access to big data and pattern matching to see trends that users can't see. In our own knowledge-based implementation, right, we can make recommendations of, I'm seeing a lot of tickets, a lot of questions about this thing, shipping liquids to Canada, let's say, and I'm seeing no answers in the knowledge base. So I recommend that you add something on this to this article, right? An individual would have to do 10,000 tickets to be able to see that, but a piece of AI can see those trends in a vector space index instantaneously and do that. So that ability then to spot trends that others start see to create segments of one and personalization opportunities for customers in their journey, those kind of things, that's the, for me, that's the next step, the next level of implementation of AI that unlocking all that data gives you access to that's really interesting. I love the focus on using machine learning and AI to enhance the customer experience. It sounds simple, but it, so many of the implementations I've heard about are on the cost saving side, which is great. But here you're talking about using AI and machine learning to reduce friction, to make things quicker and easier for the customer, actually to improve trust, which is a really counterintuitive use of these automation tools. I just, I love that the conversation is heading in that direction now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that for the people who make our tools and experiences, ultimately, AI isn't generally, I don't think of it as the party trick. It's not the dancing bear that we used to think about. Mm. It's the thing that permeates every aspect, every interaction that you have, right? Where you say to yourself, how can I shave time on this? How could it be smarter? How could it meet the principle of least disappointment, right? Where it actually does a smart thing and I feel good about it. And it's like well-organized. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Taking AI models and making them available to every creator, maker, developer in your organization as you create a software experience, a tool, a retail experience, and having them shave moments of friction, of shave tension in an application and make it quote unquote smarter. I think that's the phase we are or should be entering, right? Where it isn't a thing off on its own now with Einstein. It's a thing which is like, it is a tool, a language. It is a, a, mo a set of models and capabilities that I think about and reach for from my toolkit when I do anything, build anything for my users. It's a thing that makers do. I mean, if, if I can put it in the kind of the cliches that I use when I teach and talk about this stuff, so many of the tools in marketing start off as shiny objects. They're kind of goals unto themselves. Like, oh, we need to be in social media because that's what's going on. Or we need to be using AI tools because that's what's going on. And, and you're pointing out here and using the words that I would use that AI is just a tactic. It's just, it's another tool at our disposal that should be used towards a strategic end, right? Of reducing friction for the customer, for example, something like that, producing more value for the customer. And I, I think there are a lot of marketing tools that, you know, I think as you're pointing out, follow that trajectory. And it's it's great that AI is starting to arrive there. That's nice. 
I agree. I think you have two sets of humans as a as a CX leader that you really have to care about, right? Your consumers, users, citizens, and your agents, advocates, salespeople, whatever whatever you're calling them. And I think you can make lives on either side of the conversation significantly better through the smart use of very, very accessible technology, right? We're not talking, this is not 10 postdocs in a room building custom models and doing work the way it was 10 years ago, right? I think now we've reached the point, you know, that it used to be that, what is it, uh, Arthur C. Clarke said, any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. I think three years later, any technology you're not using that you should be is indistinguishable from failure, right? Which is, you're now held up to a different, there's a different judgment set, criteria set, which is like, why doesn't it recommend what macro I should use? Right. I mean, you see this 10,000 times a day. You you process billions of tickets at Zendesk. How hard is it? Good question. It goes back to your earlier point about training the customer. We've now trained the customer to start to expect these kinds of high quality recommendations and frictionless interactions. And so, yeah, if, if you're not on board with that, then you know your customers are. So where are you? Yeah. So Adrian, let's try to get practical. I started this whole session off by talking about sort of theory and, and, and practical stuff and the gap between the two. What advice would you be giving people today? So everybody listening to this, what would you be saying that people need to go away and do? I think that there aren't, to perhaps I was on the call and other people, there aren't these radical and insightful, transformative things that you necessarily need to do. I think it's you need to sit down and ask yourself, what is my plan to improve the lifetime value of my customers through better experiences and retention? What is my plan to decrease churn by creating smart, frictionless experiences that meet their expectations and are appropriate to buy importance in their lives, right? Which I think is a really important concept, right? The people who ship me this lovely microphone that I'm using that I waited six months for, right? I mean, it was kind of important in my life that I got that microphone, but I don't want a long-term relationship with them and 40 emails and all the other stuff, right? Sure. I just wanted the microphone. And when the microphone goes wrong, I just want them to answer and send me a replacement or tell me how I've misconfigured it. I don't use Windows anymore, so they don't send me new drivers, but you know, you get the idea, right? Yeah. At the level of importance in your customers, in your constituents' life, what is it that you're going to provide for them that will make that experience better and meet expectations? And then how can you as a leader in charge of that, how are you going to go prove to your peers, your management, your board, whomever it is you have to prove to, that you are driving long-term value and growth for your company and doing a fantastic service to your shareholders, which is critical and important and long-lasting. Yeah. And I think that's a key element of this. We talk often on this podcast about making sure you're tying things to value. So is it improving customer satisfaction? Is it improving revenue? What's it improving? Otherwise, why in the hell are you you doing it? Uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts? I love the demystification of a lot of these tools. You know, for a long time, AI was kind of synonymous with magic. There were a lot of 
beliefs around AI that that I I think were unrealistic and based in a rooted in a misunderstanding of how it works and what it can do. And that led to problems on both sides, both in terms of kind of expectations that were not being met by management and then also underutilization or misutilization of those tools. I'm always happy when we get back to the basics, because I think while there are lots of new opportunities constantly arising, ultimately a firm is there to provide value to a customer. And if we lose sight of that, we're kind of missing the boat. So why are AI tools or machine learning tools or anything else great? Because they can be used to provide more value to the customer. <laughs> and if we're using them for, for anything else, we should take another look. Um, obviously, there's advantages to, to cutting costs and all, all you know operational efficiency and all that kind of stuff is great. But ultimately, firms are not there to be efficient. Firms are there to serve a customer. So I love where we're arriving here. I am an unabashed Luddite. I am not up on technology. And so I learned a lot from listening to Adrian talk about that stuff today. It was was a lot of fun. It's great. Good. And let me just add three things briefly or reinforce three things, actually. First of all, I totally agree with Adrian about the mindset. People need to look at things in a different way and not just do the theory. They need to get down into some practical action. Again, I wish that more organizations were looking at the lifetime value of customers rather than the short-term value, because I think that would drive a lot of behavior. And I'm now into tectonic plates, Adrian. I love that, shifting the tectonic plates. And maybe I'm going to try and Google how I can, maybe you should move from San Francisco before I do, but can we move the tectonic plates a bit quicker, basically? And the last thing I guess I would say is that I think in doing all of this, and this goes back to the first comment about mindset, It depends on the lens that you're looking at this stuff through, and it depends on the lens you're looking at AI through. And I think there's a big opportunity to look at customer science or customer intelligence through the lens of behavior, the behavioral science aspects of things. And that is baked into understanding the patterns of what your customers are doing and the patterns of their behavior. So so it's been a really great conversation, Adrian. Very pleased that you managed to join us. I will put, again, a link in the show notes for the CX Trends uh, report. And if people want to get hold of you, Adrian, then how do they do that? So my Twitter handle at amcdermo is also my old Unix account because I was born a nerd and I'll die a nerd. And uh, you can also <laughs> find me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Good. Well, thanks very much for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.